Welcome to the Runner's Roundtable podcast. My name is Stephanie Diaz, and in season two of the Runner's Roundtable, I'll be talking to different female run coaches about their running stories and coaching philosophies. In this episode, I'm talking to Becky Croft, a unicorn of a coach who brings every bit of who she is to the coaching relationship. In this discussion, we talk about chi running, how running is more than how you perform, and how she advocates for bringing awareness to the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Content warning as we do enter into a discussion on gender-based violence near the 72-minute mark. Enjoy our conversation, and thanks for listening. Welcome, everyone, to the Runner's Roundtable. Today, I am speaking to Coach Becky Croft, and I'm really, really excited to have this conversation because I actually found out about you, Becky. It was almost like a serendipitous, in a very <laughs> serendipitous way. And I'll tell you why. Because this year, I have become very, very curious as an aging female athlete. And I say mm-hmm. that just because we're all aging. It's not like, it's just we're aging. As an aging female athlete, I'd become very curious with perimenopause, menopause, how that impacts me as a runner. What do I need to change for myself as a runner? Because beyond finish times, beyond pace times, beyond any of that, I want to run for the rest of my life as long as I'm able to run. And this year, yeah. And this year it really hit me like, oh, but in order for me to do that, I need to know how to navigate running through the physiological phases of life. So I went and I did this course on, you know, menopause for athletes. And somewhere in that, I found out about you through someone else because you did like a 20 minute chat on Instagram. And I was like, oh, I need to talk to this person because it was just like the stars aligned so beautifully for me that one, I was like, I need to talk to you. But two, for all the years that I've been a runner, I've never heard anyone talk about menopausal running, perimenopausal running, postmenopause. Like I've never heard anyone talk about that until you, which talk about a huge disservice to the running community in general, when you've got what half of the runners out there are going through this or will be going through this. And then the other half of the runners are maybe the, the opposite sex that knows someone. So like everyone's impacted by it and yet we're not talking about it. So before you get into that specifics, tell us your running story. So for me, um, I started out running just like most, most females do for that matter. Um, I wanted to lose a little bit of weight and I thought obviously cardio was the way. And it just so happened that my best friend was kind of getting into running about that time. So she's like, Hey, let's go run. And so of course I went along and, um, it was pretty terrible at first, honestly, because I didn't know anything about gear or I didn't know how to do it properly. I thought, well, you just get run, right? Like it's that easy, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) So it took me about a year to kind of like play with it a little bit off and on. And I finally, um, downloaded the couch to 5k app. So I started running on the treadmill at the gym and then I hired a trainer and I was doing some um, yoga classes and 
really starting to get into fitness. Now, at that point, I was around the age of 30. I didn't have a history with fitness or running as, you know, a young woman. Uh, I hated PE class. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember doing those little track runs and hating them. Um, but it, yeah, as I became an older adult, I got into it because of some weight loss. Now, looking back, did I have weight to lose? Absolutely not. But I felt like I did at the time. So it, even though it started out as, you know, just weight loss, it became really my saving grace in life. Yeah. And I love that you share that because I, the more I talk to people about running, whether it's coaches or just people in the community, what I'm realizing is that a lot of us come to the sport later in life. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't know why, or I don't know how this happened. I feel like a lot of people think they have to have been an athlete forever in order to get into the sport. So to me, it's so confusing. There's this mentality around it that you need to, you have to perform to be considered a runner or to call yourself a runner. I don't think that I started calling myself a runner until I had probably completed a couple half marathons. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I was ready to do a half. Honestly, I played with a couch to 5k app. I just kind of went out and did my own thing for a while. And then I was like, okay, well, I've done a 5k, like let's do a 15k. I skipped entirely over the 10. I'm like, <laughs> let's just go, let's go big. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I didn't die. Let's see what happens if I do a half. And I got really hooked on the half. I did a number of races before I ever gave into the marathon, but it took me a long time to really adopt that mentality of be being an athlete. And yeah. I've, I've had to learn through my own training over the, the last handful of years that if you train intentionally, you're an athlete, it has nothing to do with performance. Yeah, that is, I love that you shared that because again, I think that reflects a lot of people's experiences that definitely reflected mine where I had ran several half marathons and I still wouldn't call myself a runner. <laughs> like I was very dedicated, right? I did the training, yeah. I was showing up and yet there was still this like hesitation to fully own one that I'm a runner. And I feel like it's taken me even longer to own the label of athlete. Like that one, I feel like took me even longer because when I would think of athlete, I'm thinking of like the pro runners, the pro right. like elite runners, right? People like that, where I'm like, wait a minute, but I, I am putting the time into it. I am adjusting my life in ways so that I can show up as best as possible to these runs. I am doing other things that will support me as a runner. So I am an athlete, but it definitely took, it took a moment. It took, it took a very long moment to get there. And I think it's really powerful to hear from you and now myself that experience, because I think you have a lot of people who are running, are doing the training plans and who may be still have that hesitation with calling themselves a runner. And I think for me, that's like, okay, we need to have a bigger conversation at, in the sport of running or in the industry of running as a whole regarding like, what does it look like to be a runner? And there's so many different entry points for it that 
there there really is no one size fits all to it. Well, and it it changes, it evolves over time. I actually ran into a friend yesterday at the chiropractor's office. Um, she's extremely well known in our local running community. She is the biggest supporter of runners. And she's kind of struggling through some issues right now, trying to figure it out. And I invited her to one of our group runs because I lead as she runs this town local chapter. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, Hey, you're in our group, come run with us. And she's like, I, I don't want to hold anybody back. And I'm listen, this group is not about pace. We are out there just to be together. It's only for community. It's accountability time together. I set aside at least 30 minutes for whoever wants to show up. If we run, walk, if we walk, I don't care. We are together. And she's like, but I run an XX pace. And I'm like, it's fine. My girls run that pace. I will go on and do my, the rest of my mileage because I'm in marathon training at my pace afterwards. This yeah. time, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I love that. And I, it's so I, a friend and I, that's, we've been the past few months trying to get a, she runs this town chapter started here in Miami, Florida as well. And I find that that is the pace people's obsession with pace <laughs> prevents yeah. them from showing up to these things because I will invite people all the time. And I remember our very first event that we had, I was so adamant about being the walker. I told them, I'm like, I'll walk. Like, it's fine. I can get my training done. I can do my miles and I can do it wherever else. Like you said, for 30 minutes, yeah, I can put whatever my goals, whatever my training is aside to walk. And it was wonderful because I had, we had three people show up to walk. But even then I felt like I had to kind of convince people to show up because it was that, oh, but my pace, I don't know if I'm this pace or I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to slow you down. That's yeah. the one that, that always gets me. And it's like, no, if I'm inviting you to come, it's because either I'm going to be there with you, or there is going to be someone there that can be with you. So to me, that's, that is definitely one of those, I feel like that's like a, like a gatekeeper that people put up for themselves yes. for not showing up to something, to something that could potentially reinvigorate them, excite them. But when we hold pace to this standard of, oh, I can't keep up with you, or I'm, I'm too slow. Those are words that they're so triggering for me. I'm like, no, like you're, you're not too slow. You're <laughs> yeah. you like you're you. And that's perfect. And that's great. Um, so did she end up going to the run club? Or uh, so the, I saw her yesterday. She's, she says she's going to come and I'm going to hold her to that. Cause I mean, she's done way more mileage than I have. So I know she can do it. And like I said, even if we're run walking or if we're running slow, I don't care. I just, sometimes I need that community. I need that accountability. I have shown up to run group and nobody's coming. I'm like, I'm never mind. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's true. I, I mean, it's, it's all about having that opportunity there. And with anything, right? I mean, even it's oh, yeah. just showing up. It's showing up. There's this one, there's this one saying that I heard years ago that I love it, where it's like, all we can do is set the stage and hope that grace makes an appearance. 
And I, oh, I love bring that. that yeah. yeah. And I bring that to everything where it's like, all I can do is show up and be there for whoever's going to need me for whoever's going to show up. And hopefully someone will show up or if not, I'm like, at least for me now with my kids, I'm like, well, if no one shows up, then this is my time. Like, it's cool. Like I just exactly. got a pocket of time that I didn't have before. There's been but, times where even though they didn't show up, it did get me out the door for my run, whereas it might not have otherwise. So like I said, as, as much as it's for them, it's for me too. Yeah, it it really is. And I think that's the community aspect of running. Even if we run by ourselves, most of the time, there's just something so special about being with others in community where you mm-hmm. see, I don't know, to me, I, I always marvel at running and the the relationships I have with my, you know, quote unquote, running friends, they're really my friends, but they're like, they fall into the running category of friends, because the intimacy that gets developed in those relationships is so fast. And it's so deep that I'm like there, like even just the prospect of having that community, I'll show up. I'll, I'm like, I'll be there. Just even if I can see you for a little bit, I'll be there. That's how um, I got my running partner. I had run alone, like I said, for years. And after I wound up having a hysterectomy, I was really struggling in my running. And I had these Instagram running friends who were starting to become kind of, you know, race buddies. I would see them at races locally. And I showed up to um, our Rudolph run actually about seven years ago and met my running partner through our group. And it was so funny because the first time I ran with them, they were all chitty chatting and they looked back at me and they were like, Hey, Becky, how about you? And I was like, uh, uh, like I couldn't (laughs) talk while running because I was running by myself, (laughs) but it was because I was vulnerable. And really at that point where I was ready to let down that barrier and start running with other people that it opened up a whole new world for me. It really does. That's, I, I love when people, and I think people don't realize that running with others is actually hard, right? Like it's yeah. like finding <laughs> the pace, finding the talk. I've ran with so many people, like their first time ever running with others. And they're like, I don't know if I can do this. I'm like, don't worry. I'll talk the entire time. You don't yeah. have to, don't worry about it. I'll talk the entire time. Eventually, like you'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Like, don't worry. Don't worry. We're good here. But it's, it's so beautiful that you shared that because yesterday, that's what I was thinking about. And I shared on my social media, the the importance of having that one significant connection and Mm -hmm. how that opens you up to an entirely different world of running. And not to say that you're only going to have one significant connection and nothing else, but oh, that yeah. first one is so special. And I can only imagine that the past seven years of your life as a runner have also transformed dramatically because of that. Oh, big time. And we were joking about this on one of our runs recently um, because we've trained through several marathons together. She's run more marathons than I have, um, but I've run more halves than she has. So combined, we have a lot of mileage together. Um, but we've had so many people in our groups come and go over the years, but she's been the one that stuck there. She just, we, we just get each other. (laughs) So it's people can easily come and go. Some of them stick around for longer than others. I've decided that I am kind of an anomaly because I just, I've never taken more than three weeks off of running. I don't have an off season. Now I pull, I like have my peaks and valleys. I pull back where I need to, but 
I just, running's my thing. This is my happy place. This is my medicine. It's my connection to the land. There's, there's a lot of things about running that keep me going. And I realize that that's not for everybody and that's fine. That's, that's kind of my philosophy as a coach is I teach through grace, like running, let it be what it needs to be right now. If it's hard, that's okay. Do some walking, do some intervals, take a break from it, focus on strength, whatever you need to do. It'll be there when you're ready to come back to it. That's the thing that I, again, I also feel like people miss it where they feel like this is the moment. Like this is when I have to do it. And it's like, no, no, no. Like you're good. You're good. If it's, if it's working for you right now, wonderful. Awesome. Keep doing it. If it's not working for you, step back. You can always come back. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, again, and I think people have trouble with stepping back because they're, you know, they're afraid they're going to lose fitness or all these other, these other really intangible things that I, I don't know. It's to me, it's, it's really interesting to observe the runner. I think runners are so fascinating. I really do think runners are a different breed of human in general, (laughs) where we approach Yeah, we approach life so differently, but I love that where it's like running is going to be here. If you need to step back, you can step back. If you want to, you know, jump back in, you can jump back in. It's really running. And I think that is one of the hardest parts about running is that at least for me in my experience, running really forces me to be very honest with myself. Yes. And I, sometimes it's hard (laughs) to be honest. It it really is. For me, um, I think the biggest thing is that running is like a moving meditation for me. So I can go out and have expectations to perform and maybe I don't, but the things that I figure out in those miles along the way are priceless. Yeah, which I think that comes from and I, and I say this because for me, it's the same. I can say, I'm like running as a moving meditation. When I tell people there, they're like, how, like, it's so hard. <laughs> I can't figure out how to breathe. Like my brain doesn't stop thinking about what my body is thinking of and what my body's feeling. And it's like, you get there eventually not yeah. to say that every run feels that way. But I think for me, it's like when I surrender to the run being what it is, like if, if it's a bad run and I just say, okay, today's a bad run, but let's do what we can. I end up learning something so incredible about myself from that. The same thing as when it's a good run. If I can be like, all right, today we're having a good run, but then like, let it go. Like I, that's why I say it requires so much honesty. Cause it's like, okay, I have to accept who I am while I'm on the run. And then when that run is done, I need to let it go. Need yep. to let that go because that's who Steph was in that moment. I don't know who I'm going to get tomorrow. I don't know who I'm going to get later. So really a lot of honesty. And I love that, that running is a moving meditation because I, that resonates so deeply with me. How did you get into run coaching? Well, I, um, I discovered chi running somewhere along the way after doing several half marathons and, um, in learning more about running, uh, kind of figuring out what my, my foot strike was and whether or not it was efficient. I had never been injured, but I was like, okay, yeah, I see my pictures. I've never seen myself run, but I see my pictures and it looks like I'm heel striking. How do I not do that? Because it's supposed to be bad. Right. So I, um, 
got on YouTube and did some searching how to change your foot strike. And I found Danny Dreyer and learned all about chi running and mostly from the YouTube videos. So I started practicing it and it really, really changed my running at like I out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, there's something to this. This is kind of awesome. And my chiropractor, eventually we had a chi running instructor here, but she moved off into like the Northeast area. And he said, you know, we need a new instructor and I think it needs to be you. And I was like, well, I mean, I, I know how to teach myself this, but I don't know how to teach others. And he's like, just go figure it out. I'll refer people to you. We can have a working relationship beyond just, you know, me fixing you. <laughs> right. Um, so that's really where I wanted to start because I didn't see coaches out there talking about form or worrying about form for their clients. And I knew that I wanted to have a coaching certification, but it was kind of on the back burner. Chi running and form was my first focus. I wanted to be able to teach people in person locally, have that relationship and that connection with them. And then um, about a year or two after I got my chi certification, um, Vanessa Mitchell has this program that she spearheaded um, to create more diversity in the coaching world. And she has created these teams of what she calls game changers. And I was in the first group. So her goal is to um, fund coaching certification courses for women of color. Oh, I love that. Oh my yes. goodness. So it just so happens um, one of those run fluencers I follow had posted about it and I was like, I was trying to decide if I wanted to go the RRCA route or if I wanted to do the VDOT certification because mm -hmm. I coach through the VDOT platform and I was being coached through it. So I, I love it. And I was like, okay, I'll fill out this application, whatever. And I filled it out and I forgot about it, <laughs> <laughs> but I was chosen as one of like the first 16 in the group. And, um, so our certification course through our RCA was paid for. All I had to do was pass the test. So, you know, in the pandemic, <laughs> in the, this world of zoom, I sat for a weekend with, um, these other people and it wasn't just our 16 in the group, but we were a big portion of it and I got my certification. So that has led to some other really fun opportunities. And now she's on her third group and Brooks is now sponsoring our game changers. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I need to look into this because that is that is just music to my ears <laughs> because it's like if here talk about a person who noticed there's something missing and let <laughs> yes. me do something about it and yeah. i just love that because that's you know part of part of the reason why i'm doing this whole series and focusing on female coaches is because you know frankly speaking men have been coaches forever a lot of the research, a lot of the books, a lot of what we know about running has come from male coaches studying the male body, right? Exactly. Whereas here it's like, okay, but women are having such a great moment within running and we're proving that, you know, I mean, the history of women in running doesn't go as far back. And, you know, even from, from everything where them thinking like women couldn't run because our bodies couldn't handle it. You couldn't oh do a marathon. Yes. You know? I mean, look at how we had to get into running. We had to be sassy about it. And we still have to be sassy about it. Absolutely. I, as a Native American woman, 
menopausal athlete have to be exceptionally sassy about things to get anybody's attention. Otherwise everybody goes, Oh, wow. That's just really sad. I hate to hear that. And then they go on. No, no, you're like, we need to do something about it. (laughs) Absolutely. And that, so I love the work that Vanessa Mitchell is doing. I'm going to totally look into that. And I love that you were a part of that because to me, what I'm learning throughout these conversations too, is the importance of mentorship, the importance of having someone out there that believed in you and in your, I mean, even here with the chi running, right. It was, someone was like, so yeah, you're going to do this and then you can figure it out along the way. (laughs) Like you had someone who maybe that wasn't especially a mentorship type relationship, but it was definitely someone who believed in your ability to do this, which maybe it was out of your comfort zone. Maybe you felt like you weren't ready for it, but in the eyes of the outsider, you were more than ready for it. So that's what I'm realizing in a lot of these conversations. It's like, oh, mentorships, one, and the support from your community in order to be a leader in your community, you've got to have that support from your community. It's not, you just don't come up on your own. Like there, it just sounds like you've had such a great resource of people supporting you in all that you're doing. And I just, uh, that just, it just makes me so happy because this is what a big part of the running community is that it's a lot of internal talking about how it was serendipitous for you. It has been for me as well. I mean, I went into this with zero expectations of what was going to happen. I just knew that running has saved my life and it connects me to others. So I wanted to bring that to other runners, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. And that has looked like going after the cheese certification. I didn't have a master instructor anywhere near me. I had to drive four hours away a couple of times to even get to learn how to teach, to become certified. I, now there is one other person in Oklahoma, but there's, there's nobody in Kansas. There's nobody in Arkansas. There's nobody anywhere near us. You have to go down to Texas. Wow. I had never heard of, yeah, go ahead. Like I said, that has led me to people like Vanessa who are creating these other opportunities to bring it all together. Yeah. I was the, sorry, I did not mean to interrupt you, but I'm so excited. I'm like, wait, I want to learn more. I want to know more. Um, because I had never heard of chi running prior to you for myself. Again, here I'm someone who's been in the running community for a while and benefiting greatly from social media because it does connect us to a wide range of experiences. And, you know, chi running as well. That was something that I first heard of when I was following you. So, can you tell us all what is chi running? So Chi Running was created by Danny Dreyer, and he has basically taken like some principles from Tai Chi and also some form cues from elite runners who are doing really well and kind of combined them into a really beautiful, efficient running style that takes a lot of pressure off of your body. So you don't fight with things like runner's knee. Um, You work with gravity rather than against it. And you kind of harness some of those intangibles like energy and being able to sense what's going on in your body so that you're not struggling as much, you're not fighting and it doesn't feel terrible. (laughs) 
And in the process, I mean, some performance comes along with it very easily, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, well, just even hearing that, that you work with gravity instead of against it, I feel like everything I do when I'm running, it's like, I'm like constantly asking is how can I get lighter, right? Like, how can I feel lighter on the run? Because it is running is, it can be a very taxing experience on the body because of those forces with gravity. So I'm curious to know, did you know about chi running before you started running or this is just something you discovered along the way, which I think you said that's what it was, right? When you were curious about improving your form. I mean, there's it's so much. I just kind of stumbled upon on accident. Um, like I said, I, I love YouTube for all things, you know, learning. If it's not something that I found on Google, I found it on YouTube. So, um, <laughs> I was, I just started searching like how to change your foot strike or how to land midfoot, and everything out there at the time was Danny Dreyer. So I watched him and then there was actually one video that kind of put it all together for me. And I have never been able to find it since, but I was able to practice in my own living room without like running anywhere. So the first time that I took it out on the run with my running partner at that time, I just all of a sudden took off and she was like, what is happening? And I went, I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And that, you know, they say it too, right? Where it's like, you want to fix something that you're going to see immediately. It's fix your form. Yes. How do you, when you're working with your athletes, how do you assess form? Cause you work with athletes for both in person and virtually, correct? Yes. So I do have some that I have coached locally. I coach virtually. So I have athletes all over the place and it's kind of funny. It's like, I have a whole bunch in Seattle, that whole Pacific Northwest at one period. And then it's like, I've got several in Kansas. It's like, it kind of ebbs and flows, but, um, I get them onboarded and get them accustomed to my platform and coaching to begin with, because being coached isn't something that necessarily comes naturally either. But once I get them onboarded and start creating that relationship, I can start going, okay, so now we've got you in a little bit of a habit. Let's see what's going right and what we need to work on. And I actually have them send me videos. And so I can see their form, whether it's on the treadmill or if it's out, I see their race pictures yeah. um, and I have those conversations. Or if they're telling me that things are uncomfortable, I can ask them, Hey, can you like try to focus on this and see what happens? Um, we address strength training and through that because strength training is a huge component of your running being really more fun, easy, stronger. Um, so, but I have those conversations and we do it all virtually and I can send videos back to them of myself running or myself kind of giving them some cues on what to pay attention to. That's so, so unique because it's the coaching relationship. Each coach is so, in general, each coach is so unique. So I'm hoping that as people listen to these conversations, they really come to understand that and kind of come to feel that, that a run coach isn't just someone who creates a training plan for you. Our run coach is so much more. And here, thinking about form, because form is really, really, really important. So the fact that you bring that in that's just a different, to me, it's like a different level, of, a different level of coaching where you're like, okay, let's actually pause for a moment here and take a look at the form or here are some cues. And I'll the, like, one of my, one of the cues that I got that was 
Oh gosh. It was so funny. It's Shanti. Like he's like a fitness person. He's not even a runner, but I remember like him talking about doing high knees. It was like something in high knees. And he's like, you want your hands by your side. He's like, but your arms by your sides, but you don't want your hands like Mm-hmm. stressed and gripping he's like so pretend you're holding a bag of potato chips so yes. now when I run I'm like oh yeah because when I'm doing this my entire upper body is tensing up but if mm-hmm. I'm holding a bag of potato chips there's a, a little there's just more softness and I feel like a big part of running is figuring out where can I inject some softness because the tension is actually making it harder it's making running feel harder. That is one of the key components to chi running is where can I relax um, as opposed to where my body is actually working. You can relax all the things that are not actively engaged in working. And that was, I had a chi running instructor weekend in New Hampshire um, a couple months ago and actually got to spend some time with Danny and his wife and learn more about chi running, chi walking. And we had a lot of conversations about relaxing things. And for me, like I was struggling with my left foot a little bit this last year, and it was holding too much tension in my ankles. So I am actively myself working on relaxing things that are not working. Yeah. And that's such a great, I'm a big fan of body scans when I'm running. And that's one of the things that I suggest for people when they're like, I can't stop thinking about running. Like I can't stop thinking about how my, like how much it sucks. And I'm like, try a body scan, like go through the checkpoints, you know, how is my head feeling, my shoulders, all of that. And I think digging deeper into that, that definitely connects to where can I relax in my body? Cause I know when I do body scans myself, it's shoulders. <laughs> like I, I will do one of those, <laughs> like just try to yes. drop my shoulders down because again, it's like the, the tension really does add, I, and I would assume maybe in, in chi language, it adds like a heavy energy to the yeah. running form. I did that to my running partner. Actually, it, we ran the USA women's half in Phoenix in November. And so I told her I would keep her with me for about four miles. And then I was going on my own. I was going after a PR and she's like, okay, so about four miles in, I said, okay. I want you to scan your body. Where are you holding tension? And just like you said, she's like in my shoulders. I said, drop them. And she's like, okay. I said, keep doing that. I was like, love you. Bye. And I took off <laughs> I did that in my own body. And that's what, that's something meditation has taught me is how to body scan. I use it in my running. I use it at night when I can't shut my brain down and I'm having a hard time falling asleep. Or if I wake up in the middle of the night, I body scan and just relax everything because you can think that you're relaxed. And the minute somebody says, drop your shoulders, you go, Oh, Oh, I didn't realize that I had that tension there because we're just so accustomed to being hunched up and stressed and angsty. And we don't realize that we have all that tension in our body and we definitely have it when we're running. Oh, absolutely. I feel that this morning, I think of this morning. So this morning I had a five mile easy run And there were definitely points where I was like, okay, it's supposed to be easy. Why does this feel so hard? Why does it feel (laughs) so hard? And it's part of it is because for me, running easy takes a lot of control because I have to hold myself back. But as I'm mentally trying to control my pace so that I can stay in that easy range, my body is also like 
spiraling into tension. So I, and it's so funny because I could think of the exact point where I was along my run where I was like, you just need to like chill out, like really yeah. just relax, like focus on driving your knee up. You don't need to tense anything. Cause I think that's also part of it where we, we feel like, at least for me, I'm going to say, I'm going to use myself as an example here where sometimes the cue for myself is like, lift your chest, like lift up. But there are times where I will like lift up and then I can feel myself bracing my abs. Like, and I'm like, wait, I don't need to do that. I don't, I, I need everything. My abs are working regardless. I don't need to add any extra muscular tension to that. But I'm curious for you as a coach who works within these how would you call it? Cause it's not necessarily like, would you say it's like a coaching philosophy or just an approach yeah. to run coaching? How would you describe chi running? Um, I think that it's a very different approach. I, I would call it an approach um, because it's a lot of intangible. It's a lot of mindfulness. Um, this is where meditation, mindfulness, intention of where you're holding energy there. It's more of it's, more of a meditative experience than it is something you have to really fight with. And it's so funny because every one of my students that I teach initially, they're like, Oh my God, it's so hard. It's so hard. I don't know if I'm doing it right. Like they are so frustrated and fixated on it. I'm like, listen, this is not going to change overnight. I, as an instructor, I'm still working on this every day myself. It's a practice. It's, it's very much like yoga in that sense is that it's something that's different every single day, regardless of what you're doing. Otherwise, it, you may think it's going to be easy one day and it's hard or vice versa. It is a practice. It's something that you intentionally tap into and just let it be what it is. You can make those adjustments where you need to, but if they aren't coming, then let it go it's fine. Try again tomorrow. That's such a hard mentality to embrace because we see running as a performance. Yeah. You are performing on race day. You are performing on the track, right? Like it's, it's a performance and here, what you're inviting people to see running as is a practice. You're saying, oh, wait, it's a practice. That's hard. That is a really, really hard shift because so much of running, and I say this all the time, like us runners, we love the metrics, right? Like you can't, I can't quantify. Yeah, like it's right here. It's always there. It's always there. But it's like, <laughs> I can't quantify the feeling of relaxed shoulders, right? I can't quantify that. Oh, but I can quantify that my run took X amount of time. Mm -hmm. How do you get people? And I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume a lot of it comes back to like the grace, right? You teach through grace of not only am I an example of showing you what it's like to extend grace to yourself, but I'm also going to coach you to show grace to yeah. yourself. How do you get people to move beyond the performance aspect of running? Because I feel like performance, the reality is performance is what comes secondary. Performance is secondary to the practice 
of running? For me, um, one of my athletes actually put this best. She said, I feel like we have a partnership. And if I'm not giving you my half, you can't, you can't give me yours. And it really is, it has to be a partnership. And I have athletes that will not have conversations with me. They're like, they believe in the ask for forgiveness over permission. (laughs) And I'm like, listen, I mean, I don't want you to go do a random marathon that you're not ready for. But if you're going to, I'm going to help you do it the best way that you can. And we are going to have a conversation about your goals because it's going to be an experience that you have and not a performance. So it comes down to communication and the relationship between coach and athlete is no different than any other relationship. You've got to have that communication piece for it to work properly, but you have to also be open to adjusting your mindset to have, to let it be more growth focused rather than fixed. I mean, I recently had an athlete fire me and I, she was local and I took her out to kind of look at her form. And my concern was her cadence because it was extremely low and I didn't want her to get through a marathon, her first marathon cycle injured. So I said, Hey, I just want to see how you move. And I brought up the word cadence and she immediately was triggered by it. And I was like, Oh, okay. Hold on. What's going on here? What, why are you so concerned about me looking at your cadence? And she's like, well, I've read articles that said this. And I'm like, yeah, you can find articles to either support or invalidate your opinion on things. I can do the same, but here's what I'm thinking is why I want to increase it a little bit. I don't want you to go from 150 to 180 overnight, but I do want you to be more mindful of how you're moving. And I could see that wall come up and she just rolled her eyes and said, yeah, I'm sure some coach would look at this and go, you need to do this, but there's elites performing like this. And I'm like, those are kind of the rare ones. They are not the rules. I'd say, yeah, the elites are the outliers here. So for her, her mindset and not even being willing to have that open conversation with me or being open to understanding why I wanted to look at it was a huge barrier that we were not going to get past. So if you look at running that way or any of your metrics, yeah, you're going to have some problems. Yeah. You have to be really flexible. That's the, that's, and I think that connects back to this idea of running as a practice. You have to be flexible with how you are engaging with running because you as a person, you're not fixed either, right? Like you're you're not fixed. So why do you expect the things that you're doing to be fixed? Like, no, how do you handle or how did you handle that particular situation? Because that's also been something I've found very fascinating when the coach athlete, it's not a fit. Like it just doesn't fit for various reasons. And sometimes you have to have those challenging conversations. How did you approach that conversation? Or in general, how do you approach any challenges between yourself and any of the athletes that you're coaching? I have a hard time not taking it personally because when she air quoted coach at me as her coach, I was like, uh, I've got some certifications behind me. I don't know everything, but I do have some, <laughs> something backing me, but uh, it it hurt at first. And I had to go, you know what? This is her, this is her mindset. This is her path, her journey. We ran together for a little bit. We had some conversations about things that didn't trigger her. 
and we worked through some things for had a few more conversations and we finally both decided hey this isn't working and i told her i don't want to have a bad relationship with you overall my my coaching you isn't going to make or break anything so it is what it is i have to let it go and just trust that the people who trust me with their training will continue to stick around these people are going to ebb and flow in my life and i have to learn how to be okay with some of those things so some of those people not being a match with me or vice versa yeah and that's where it's i feel like as a runner looking for a coach you don't really factor that in right mm -hmm. you don't think about wait this is actually a relationship I am entering with someone and in order for the relation, the same components, and you said them earlier, right? Like communication and openness, like you need to be able to communicate with me and you need to be able to be open to the information that I present you or to the suggestions that I give you. And if you're not, then, okay, let's have, let's have a bigger discussion as to what else is going on. And if we can't get past that, what else is going on, then we need to maybe take a break. And I'm, I'm just in general, I'm such a, I'm a fan of like, okay, we need to take a break. Like <laughs> I read this, I read this book recently and it's all about boundaries. And in the book, she says, not right now as one of the boundaries. And now I am like, that's my favorite boundary because it's not a no, it's not a yes. I'm not closing the door. I'm not leaving it open either, but for the moment, you know, just not right now. And I think in that relationship, it seems like you, I think what I'm trying to say is that in a relationship like that, like had you continue to work with that particular person, I think you, you maybe would have become frustrated as a coach mm -hmm. and you've got to enjoy it. I, I mean, I'm a big fan. I, I'm a huge fan of enjoying what I do. Like, <laughs> And I'm going to assume you are too. And that's really, it's, it's hard for you to continue to enjoy it, enjoy the process of creating the plans, enjoy the process of training, enjoy the process of communicating with this person and helping them achieve their goals. And if we're talking about a marathon, that means you would have been in this person's life, like at least four months. Yeah. And if there would have been more clashes along the way, that's just, it, it would have been a frustrating situation, but I've I'm had to learn how to set my ego aside. And as I develop as a person and learn how to set my boundaries or how to remove my boundaries, I had to set my, my ego aside and go, this, this isn't going to work. And like you said, it's going to create a lot of resentment between either one of us. And that's not something that I want out of any of my relationships, whether it be with my husband or one of my athletes or someone who buys a, a, plan, a training plan for me, like I have a lot of different components of my business and I want all of those relationships to be good. I stepped away from a, a really terrible, well, a terrible situation of being micromanaged in a business that I didn't want to be. I'm an adult. I don't want to be micromanaged. And I do want to enjoy what I do because this is what I have chosen to build. Yeah, absolutely. And I think talk about that growth mindset, even for yourself as a coach, it's that, that, taking your ego out of it, 
knowing that it's not personal and also knowing that there are enough runners out there that those who will benefit from your style of coaching, your way of coaching, your methods, they're going to find you. They will find you and they'll be there for you. Can you walk us through what is that process like for even working for you? Because like I said, you work with people in person, you work with people virtually. And I know on your website, you have a ton of options. <laughs> I do. Like, and I, I love that. But I love that because I'm like, wait, there's so many different entry points to work yeah. with you. So for those who have not gone to your website, tell us about that process of even wondering if you're the coach for them and what their options are for getting to know you as a coach, getting to know what your offerings are. So I feel like we as people are very dynamic. I am, I consider myself a unicorn and I didn't think that was good for a very long time. And now I realize how unique that actually is. As a Native American female coach who is a marathon, uh, you know, a menopausal marathoner and I went into it under the age of 40, nobody, and I wanted to perform on my sport. There's nobody out there really like me. So I'm catering to very dynamic athletes. And I feel like a lot of them kind of get to know me through my content on Instagram or Facebook. Um, like I said, I get a little bit sassy every once in a while about these causes that are near and dear to my heart, but I feel like that's what draws people to me initially. And I just like I, when I was looking for a coach, I watched them for a while and I went, okay, I like the content they're putting out. I like the way they're putting it out. This tells me who they are generally as a person. So then I had a conversation with them and this is what's happening with my athletes. They're coming to me. They're watching me for a while. We're connecting on different issues. And then we're starting to build a friendship and at some point they kind of watch me for a while and they go, okay, I've been watching you and I want you as my coach. So here are my goals. How do we achieve that? And that's where we start asking questions like, okay, well, what are those goals? And if they're local, can I work with them one-on-one? -on -one? If they're not, then how do I build that relationship through text messages and Instagram messages and memes and yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I've got, um, a native gentleman here who, um, uh, follows my training plans and we're connected through our indigenous ancestry and we share the most ridiculous memes back and forth, but we have built a relationship on things that connect us. So like you said, I feel like the people who benefit from my coaching are drawn to me or I'm drawn to them and we are brought together for a reason. I love that because that's, you say dynamic beings. And for me, I always liken it as we are like a tapestry, right? Like we're a tapestry, we're a canvas and like all our experiences is just another color, another texture added to that. And so for me, it makes me happy because I'm like, yes, you're, you're taking, like you are owning every bit of who you are, but then you're also inviting the people who work with you, who engage with you to do the same thing where you're like, yeah. if I can show up boldly in all of these identities, I want you to do it too. And yeah. all of that really does 
bleed into who you are as a runner, because it's not just the running, it's not just the miles, it's not just the physical aspect. It is the purity of everything that you are. It's your heart. Like your heart is what's out there that's running. So I love that so much because I, I, for me, I'm just such a lover of context and of taking the fullness of a person because we are impacted by everything. You can't, running is not separate. You can't separate running from the fact that you are a woman when, hey, maybe you take some very specific for me, right? Like I'll give myself as an example. I can't separate the fact that I'm a woman from my running when I'm running with a lamp, with mace, with something, with my phone, with things that are going to keep me safe. I'm running in areas that I I think I'm going to be safe and okay. I, I can't separate that from it. So the fact that you're inviting people to bring all of that, I just think it's, if we could all just show up more fully to everything that we do in life, not to say that life would be any easier, but I feel like we could get through life with less effort because then we'll be surrounded by people who celebrate all those identities. Running, running is about so much more than performance. I had the opportunity and I didn't even realize how big of an opportunity it was, but, um, over, I think it was about three or four months ago, I had the opportunity to lead a chief's totem pole five miles from along route 66 from Kellyville towards Bristow as part of this huge movement for tribal sovereignty. And So this run started um, on my Cherokee lands in Tahlequah and it went all the way to San Francisco. I had five miles of a piece of that. And that is something that even showing up for it, I was like, oh, we're going to have this little ceremony. I'm going to go on my way. I've already done five miles of speed work. That's I'm good. I'll just have this little thing. And then once I realized what it was, I was like, oh no, I get to be part of this. This is, this is huge. This is huge for my ancestors and for future generations. I don't have DNA to pass on to a future generation, but my granddaughter, my grandson can look at this and go, wow, look at what my grandma did. (laughs) Yeah, it's more the, the legacy, right? It's that legacy that you're leaving. And also I think about it too, where it's not only the legacy, but the doors that you're opening, the doors you're opening for the people to come or even just again, like the bolder and brighter you live your life, there's someone who's watching you who thought it wasn't possible. Yes. Who then see that it is possible, right? And we're talking about here, just the microcosm of you showing up as you are with running, right? Like that's (laughs) just like a little thing. That's a little thing. And yet the ripples, you never know what the ripples are from anything that you do. My stepdaughter, I I remember her saying, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to run. But I hope that, like I said, one day her children look back at my medal collection or my photos or something go, wow, like my other grandmas don't run. I mean, they have their own things that they do. They have their own heritage to celebrate. Right. But I hope that they look at my piece of it and go, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And that gives them like the inspiration to do whatever it is they're interested in. Absolutely. I mean, I really, I mean, I love running. I have, I have two, two kids and they're not interested in running at all. (laughs) Like they don't care about it. They, they just, it's just something 
they don't care about it, but it's beautiful. Cause even in your family, maybe no one else understands it, but they know that you're the runner. Like yeah. you're always going to be that in their memories. And I think of my daughters, I'm like, yeah, in their memories, I'm the runner like that. I've had all these beautiful experiences because of running and maybe one day they'll run when they're older, but at the very least, I'm going to be remembered as the one who ran. And I think that's pretty cool too. Like that's, I didn't have a, I didn't have a family history with running. I didn't have anybody to pave the way for me. And maybe if my mom had been a runner, I kind of would have been in the, the same boat. I would have been like, I don't really care about that. That's her thing. But, or maybe they will come to it later in life. But regardless, this is my identity. This is what I choose to do. This is how I choose to build it. And it doesn't have to be anybody else's dream. It's mine. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. It doesn't have to be anybody else's dream. It's mine. It's so perfect. <laughs> it's so perfect. I love that. Um, I just love that so much. How did you... <laughs> We t I talked about it briefly when I was introducing you to everyone. How does menopause connect to all of this and connect to your particular running journey? Well, like I said, I am a younger menopausal athlete. Um, that is not something that anybody wants to talk about. That is not anything that anybody wants to deal with. Even when they are in perimenopause, they don't realize they're in it. But for me, it was um, a really hard battle. I, um, when we got married, I went off of the birth control pill. I had been on it most of my life for issues. I did not realize that it was masking issues. It was just a bandaid. Hmm. And so when I went off of it, the intention was to get pregnant and have babies and be a mom, you know, running wasn't really on my radar at all, but I discovered That's that I was having some issues. So I went to my doctor and I said, Hey, something's not right here. I'm really in tune with my body and I, something's just not right. So after poking and prodding and testing and trying to figure it out for like a year, he agreed to do an exploratory surgery and kind of went into it with, I, you know, probably fine, but whatever, I don't know what to do at this point and discovered that I had some pretty severe endometriosis. So I lost my appendix because it was fused to my bladder <laughs> and he went wow. in and kind of ablated uh, all of it. And I didn't know really anything about endometriosis at that point. I did have a running friend previously who had gone through it and opted for a hysterectomy and, but I didn't, I wasn't really connected to her anymore. And she was not really super, super open about it. So I didn't know a lot about it, but um, so I wound up when my husband was deployed, having my first surgery after he came back, I had another one. I lost my right tube and ovary because my right tube was so cystic, uh, or my right ovary was so cystic that it couldn't be saved. And there was the endometriosis had come back. So he cleaned it all up again. And then I went a couple more years and one of my girlfriends had kind of opened up that she had had the surgery and her doctor was putting her through temporary menopause. And I was like, okay, well, I didn't know anything about you having issues. Tell me more about this doctor. Like his approach seems to be different than what my doctor has been doing. So I went and met him and he put me through temporary menopause, which was a series of injections over six months that shut all of my hormones down. And I didn't realize it at the point, but the drug that he was injecting me with, it was actually a cancer drug. So, um, 
I've since learned about informed consent and I advocate for women asking every possible question they can and making sure that their doctors are not just trying to make money off of pharmaceuticals. Right. <laughs> um, because lasting effects of that can be really terrible. But it, it, he put me through another surgery where my, um, my uterus was actually growing together instead of being open and full. It was kind of, it was growing together. So he clipped that to open it back up and cleaned everything out. And, um, I just started having problems again, very quickly after that I had two surgeries in one year. And at that wow. point I had had enough. I was like, I had a surgery, went through the temporary menopause, had another surgery. And I'm like six years of this, I'm done. Like I've already lost, you know, my right side, my chances of getting pregnant are almost nothing now. And so I said, I've had enough. I want the rest of it taken out. And he literally laughed in my face and told me he couldn't put a uterus back in if he took it out. And the moment when I almost lunged at him, my husband said, okay, we're going to go now <laughs> because I was just furious. Like he knew what I had been through. It wasn't like I just decided, oh, I don't want to have kids. I, I'll be fine. I just was miserable. I had no quality of life. So I went back to my original doctor and he's like, yeah, you've been through enough. And right. I wound up having a hysterectomy at the age of 38. So you start running when you're 30 or around mm -hmm. 30, you go through phases of running. You have this hysterectomy at 38. What did running look like afterwards or Cause I mean, we're talking about, this is, this is also like, it's a big surgery. This is, we're talking about abdominal surgery here, you know? Well, and you know, I had been, I had been punctured in my belly so many times. I've got all these tiny little scars. And so I have, I have a pretty high pain tolerance. I'm a very active woman. I, you know, I started walking right afterwards because I'm married to an RN. So I know how important walking is as much as runners love to disregard it. It's very oh. important. Yep. Especially for recovery from surgeries, from having babies, you know, all those things. Um, I went out and raced a 10 K three weeks after my hysterectomy <laughs> because I treated it like it was nothing. Um, I was like, Oh, this is fine. And then I very quickly, I had already been through temporary menopause, which was really, really hard. All the hot flashes, all of the mood swings, um, you know, being a little homicidal at times because you just don't, you don't have control of anything. Hormones are a huge, huge component to literally every single thing in your body. Yep. And so I knew kind of what to expect and it was more mild going through it naturally, but at the same time, I was completely depleted of everything immediately. So I was thrown into surgical menopause. I was terrified of estrogen at that point because this doctor had me believing that estrogen was just going to fuel it. And all of my organs were going to fuse together. If there wasn't anything like if there was even microscopic amounts of endometriosis left. So I went a year and a half and I was so miserable. I just was like, I'm ready for hormones because something's got to be better than nothing. And right. my chiropractor connected me to my hormone doctor who was very, very gracious. I went in and I said, listen, here's my history. Here's what I've been through. I need hormones, but I'm kind of scared of estrogen. He's like, that's fine. We can like ease you into it. So we went into it and 
like kind of ramped up testosterone and barely ramped up the estrogen, which caused its own problems. <laughs> um, but I got to that point where I was ready to kind of bump up the estrogen. And I finally, after working with him for like three or four years, have this really good balance, but running through that process has been kind of hard. Yeah. How does that play into your coaching now? Because it's, I always feel, and maybe it's just me. I doubt it's just me, but there's a lot that I learn from myself. If I've embodied an experience, it's a lot easier for me to guide people, teach people, walk alongside them as they go through that experience. How has that changed or how has that experience for you changed maybe your approach to coaching some of your athletes? Um, I, I tell them that I don't know exactly how they feel because I don't, but I can understand or I can relate to them from different experiences that I've had. One of my athletes came to me and she had been watching me for a while on Instagram. And we had had a few little interactions here or there, but not really conversations until she came out and said, okay, I'm ready to make a coaching change because the coach that I have just is totally disregarding my perimenopause and she's a nurse. So even though she's a nurse and she understands that these things are going to happen to her biologically or looking at lab work or whatever she may relate to, to comprehend it, it's menopause is still really, really complex. And it's so different for every one of us. But she said, I'm watching you and you're actually speaking about it and you understand. So when she, she goes a little quiet on me every, every once in a while, and she's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling. Sorry. I wasn't communicating, but I'm like, that's okay. I get it. Talk to me. What's going on. Is this what we're, is what we're doing helping yes or no? Mm -hmm. What do we need to adjust? We can have those conversations because if she comes to me and says, I am not sleeping, I am like really struggling. I can go, okay, that's fine. What are you doing? And okay, you're not doing anything. Can you try one of these things and give it a test and, and tell me what happens? At least we can have those conversations and I'm not going to go suck it up. You're fine. Or <laughs> it, it's all in your head. You're crazy because as women, that's what we're told, right? Absolutely. You should just be able to handle it. Right. Which I think highlights a very important part about having a coach that is, and I, we talked about this earlier, that is a good fit for you yes. because I think that an important part of the coaching relationship or that dynamic is that a coach is going to give you options, right? Like that's a big part of it. If someone is struggling or it's too challenging or life is just too wild at the moment, mm -hmm. a coach is a great resource for working through those times. And I think it goes, it works both ways. One, the coach is there to help you figure it out and problem solve. But also too, as a coach, it's actually kind of exciting when you have to problem solve because you're like, oh, okay, well, let's figure out what, what does this particular athlete need and how can we achieve what we want to achieve through other means? So maybe running right now isn't feeling good, but maybe doing focusing on the mobility 
does feel good for you. And all that still, it adds, it, it's going to contribute to you being a, a strong runner, but maybe that particular piece of the puzzle, we need to scale back on, and then we need to boost other pieces of the puzzle. It's an so, experiment. And that's what I tell them when we are trying to figure this out, because they feel like, okay, she set my schedule for this week. This is what I should be able to adhere to regardless of what's going on. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't know what the weather's going to do. Um, it dropped 30 degrees in Tulsa, Oklahoma today in a matter of like hours. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And so I personally will be taking my run to the treadmill, but if I don't want to get it done, one run's not going to change anything. So when they are having that hard day, it's an experiment. One run isn't going to change anything. Or if they miss a run in a taper, it's fine. You're not building business anyways. Your body, your body is going to, you're not building fitness. Your body's not going to lose fitness from one run. It's going to appreciate that extra day of rest and you're going to perform better. It's fine. So when they are struggling, it's my job to go, it's okay. Either we figure this out or we take an impromptu rest day. We regroup, we adjust, we adapt, we go on. Absolutely. I mean, that's part of why you hire a coach, right? So that someone else can do that thinking. Someone else can kind of figure that out. But it, but then it goes back to what you had mentioned earlier about the coaching relationship. You need that communication. You need that communication. Communication and you need openness, right? You need to be open to my methods, but then also be open to communicating with me when the method right now is not working for you. Yeah. I, and I, I try to tell them, when they kind of have that fear of, oh, I skipped my run or coach is going to kill me because I threw in this impromptu race. I'm like, that wasn't part of the plan, but that's fine. Did you have fun? Did it feed your soul? If it didn't, then let's have a talk about not racing so much. One of my athletes um, is a huge advocate in our native community. And I love what she's doing. She's doing the hard work. Girlfriend is racing all the time. Um, and she goes long she goes real long. So she'll come to me and go, okay, well, I have this plan to do all these miles. I'm like, okay. But then she'll throw some races in there and she's like, sorry, coach. But for her, these are experiences. Now, after doing some huge races, she's come to me and said, okay, I'm ready to pull back. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And then she, she's like, oh, by the way, I have this unofficial news about this race that I can't let you talk about yet. Um, so that's my goal. And I'm like, that's fine. Let's do it. <laughs> but yeah. we, have those, we have those conversations and I know, I know that her goals are different than one of my other athletes goals. They're also individual. They have these different experiences. They, they want to be able to find their best in themselves. And I help them do that in a variety of ways. Mm. I love that. I love that. And I also love that. Does this feed your soul question? Because I am, I def, I can honestly say I'm one of those athletes that I like to race. I like mm -hmm. to sign up for the races. Even like there are moments where I'm like, what is this race really doing? Like, why am I here? <laughs> right? Like, like if my goal is this thing, why am I here? And for me, it really, it feeds my soul because I get so much out of being surrounded by other runners. Like that to me, the race is, it's a fun, special experience. And absolutely. I've been that, I've been that athlete. I have 
Oh my gosh. When I hired my coach, I was like <laughs> driving her crazy because I had all these half marathons on the schedule. Like I was racing a half marathon every weekend. Now in looking back, I can see how I was using running to, as my therapy to get through my health issues Yeah, and having a coach helped me pull back because I had specific performance goals that I wanted to chase. And that meant pulling away from some racing. So I've had a couple years where I've only done maybe two, maybe five little races. And that's because I have these huge goals and I know that there's a specific path I need to take to get there. But leading the chief's totem pole on this five mile run that I did not. And I was like, oh, I'm going to run it slow. And then I looked down and I went, oh my God, that's not slow. The experience, it fed my soul. It was something special that I was part of. So I understand that my athletes have these experiences or these things that feed their soul. My girl who likes to run super, super long, she loves to power lift. And I'm like, that's great power lift, but could you please throw in some runner specific stuff? So you will not have these aches and pains. And she's like, okay, we compromise together. Like, I want you to do what you want to do because it makes you show up. But I also want you to do some of what I want you to do so that you can keep showing up. Yeah. I love that. All right. Final, this is final question. It's now I need to phrase it. It's a final question and then a request. So final question is how can we make running more inclusive we and accessible? Need, oh my gosh. We need <laughs> to get involved in, in these projects that are doing so like, uh, you know, donating to causes that are, are pushing these agendas. Um, rising hearts, um, native women running, we need to look beyond black girls run and Latinas in motion. Um, as a BIPOC athlete, those two foundations are huge, but native women running is still growing. Um, we need to diversify our feeds and start looking at these athletes who are speaking about these causes and understand that they aren't doing it to cause trouble or to, you know, it's not something that's, it's very, very personal to us. It means something. There's a reason we're doing it. I will speak up. I will get sassy and say, you know, about all the white women who go missing or who are murdered and found in four days, but you don't know about the hundreds of women that are missing that are brown. Nobody goes looking for them. There are still a lot of barriers in place for native women between tribal bodies and state bodies. They don't work together, but you've got to start listening to our stories. You've got to start taking them to heart and you've got to start getting involved. Yeah, that's where I for myself too, where there was definitely during the pandemic, uh, I took it as an opportunity to step back and look at my Instagram feed and like, just in general. So like my, my Instagram feed is either yoga or running or inspirational quotes or like mom things like funny mom videos. And I took, there was a point during the pandemic where, and it was 
feel like particularly after Ahmad Arbery's passing, where it was yeah. like, wait a minute, why are we talking about this two months afterwards and not necessarily right afterwards, but then also a moment of like, okay, so what accounts am I following? And are these accounts even talking about it? Like that was the first, my first purge was that of like, are people even acknowledging it? Because I understand that, you know, some people's brands are all about positivity and like rainbows and stuff, rainbows and roses or whatever the same. But that was my first clue of like, all right, so I need to diversify what I'm taking in because if you have that the world is burning and people are not talking about that, that's not who I want to support. And that's not whose voice I want to amplify. I want to hear the people talk about how they're struggling with the news or how they are taking the steps within themselves, within their community to sometimes not enact change because there are a lot of structural barriers to that, but at least to bring awareness to it. If you're not talking about it at all, I'm not interested. Like I'm just, I'm not the person who's going to support you. But I think that was for me a very hard process because I had to wake up to everything I was asleep to. Mm -hmm. I've I've called some people out on it. Um, There's one runfluencer that... um, made a big deal about Liza Fletcher. Of course, Liza Fletcher was all over the news. She, her body was found within four days or her, her, whoever did it was found within four days, whatever. And she went on the news talking about this. And I said, Hey, what about MMIW? And she was like, Oh yeah, that's terrible. Blah, 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 blah. And she still, still just goes on and does her thing. And I'm like, so every time I see her stuff, even though I like her, it still goes, off in the back of my head, like, Hey, you're still not talking about this. Um, I went on the news. It was very vulnerable. It's very uncomfortable, but a local newscaster saw one of my very sassy posts and she was in my, she runs this town group. And she asked, um, if we would be willing to speak about Eliza. And I said, well, I have a different perspective on it if you're open to it. And she was like, yes, absolutely. So I had the opportunity to say, Hey, this is horrible. I don't want to take away from what's happened to her. There, there's no making this better, but there's no making it better that there are thousands of native women that are murdered or missing and nobody goes looking for them. So let's have the conversation. I want you to know that this is happening. I am a very privileged girl living in the middle of Tulsa, Oklahoma, not on an, an, a huge active reservation. I don't have the same fears, but I am still a female runner who runs by herself a lot. Yeah. I still worry about all the things that you mentioned earlier. I run with a a headlamp when I remember pet batteries in it. I have mace in my car. I, I run with other people so that I'm not secluded, but I'm also looked at differently sometimes because I'm darker skinned. Yeah. That's an interesting, this is, I, this is so fascinating for me because, you know, after Eliza Fletcher, we did, I did a podcast episode about safety and empowerment on the run. And I did that particular episode because I'm like, but wait, we're talking about the murder, but not really talking about how it's affecting us because it is, it's, 
I, I had I wanted to have the discussion because the discourse after that was so much like, oh, well, she shouldn't have been by herself or she shouldn't have been this and she shouldn't have been that. And it's like, OK, but we're talking about a greater societal issue about women where they should and shouldn't be. So for me in that conversation, I was like, wait, I just want to explore like how different people responded to this, how different people felt supported by the news and also that there's always and I hope that that conversation landed in a way where people and this is how I'm feeling right now and hearing you speak where it's like there's always an opportunity to learn like there's yeah. always an opportunity to be like oh I'm just I'm in chapter one and you're mm -hmm. talking about chapter two and let me sit back and listen to you talk about chapter two, because that was one of the things that, again, like when I was having this discussion, I was like, all right, we're talking about Eliza Fletcher, because this is something that's very traumatic, but it's also like, there have been other instances of other women running. There's, there's a lot of people who live in fear in general, who live in fear of walking out their door. So how are we preparing ourselves to have these conversations and similarly how are we preparing ourselves to be open to those conversations because again running is a microcosm for all of this and to your point of like okay yeah Eliza Fletcher you know that's one aspect of it but how about all these other women that we're not talking about that were for whatever reason we feel uncomfortable addressing or whatever the case is but it's like but this is the reality of of the lived experience of so many people. And the more we try to turn and not look, or even similarly where I'm like, oh, I'm very, I, this has been my, like my pandemic reckoning was along these lines of, I live in Miami. I am a Latin woman in Miami, Florida with a large Latin population. So mm -hmm. A lot of the issues that people face in different parts of the country, I don't experience them because I am surrounded by people who look like me. However, the minute I step outside of Miami, I'm like, oh, I'm different. <laughs> I'm different and it's weird. So, but to me that again, like running is a microcosm of the bigger issues that society is facing. So I feel like for some people, yes, it's scary to talk about these things, but I think that it's also an opportunity to have more intimate conversations about it because I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not even sure what I'm trying to say more that I think what I'm trying to say is that I really appreciate that you're speaking about it because you're creating the opportunity to talk to about it and you're helping us see things beyond what media is directing us to see we, and we have to call media out on that just like when this reporter came to me and said hey is anybody willing to talk about this and one of my one of my group members said yeah I'm a mom I have this mom view of things and how this affects me that way and I was like that's great I don't I don't need to add to the conversation of how to guard yourself because as a woman I am always on high alert walking my dog in my neighborhood, I've had a truckload of guys roll up on me. Hey girl, you're hot. And it scares me because it is a 
vehicle full of men. I don't know them or their intentions. And even though I'm in my neighborhood, a place I know with my dog, who's very aggressive, I know what can happen. I don't need to add to that. I know what I need to do to keep myself as safe as possible, but who's keeping these native women on reservation safe? Who's keeping anybody of color that is targeted safe? Who is calling out the media to stop reporting only on one race or to drive that conversation in the same way every time? Yeah, and that's not comfortable, but we have to be vulnerable and we have to speak up about it. Right. And it's funny because not fun, not funny, ha ha, but in terms of like the media, right? Because you had Eliza Fletcher, it exploded across everywhere. And it was something. She was the other one that it just went nuts. Everywhere, everywhere. And I think in two weeks, like that two week time frame after after the Liza Fletcher story broke, there were so many other stories of women who were running, women who were outside, who were assaulted. And I'm like, but wait, why aren't these stories? <laughs> like, why, why is it that I'm finding out about these stories through not our mainstream media, right? Like it was like, oh wait, there, there are other women in other areas of the country, like, and we're just like, just silence, silence mm-hmm. on it, which was part of why I wanted to have the conversation. Cause I'm like, but wait, why aren't we talking about this beyond that instance? Why aren't we talking about the fear that we live in? Just like, you know, for me as a, as a mom, that was one of the things that I had shared where it's like, you know, like I live in fear when I leave my door and even it's similar. I know my neighborhood. I know where I'm at. But I'm like, no, 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 I'm trying to make sure I get home alive. Like you really, you really don't. Every time we go anywhere, whether it's the grocery store, it's the mall, it's to a friend's house, it's out to eat, running on the, on a very populated trail. I mean, we are aware of our surroundings at all times. Like we have to look, make sure our car's okay. There's nothing on it. Like nobody's following us. Yep. We are aware at all times. I've been on the run with my, with my husband on his bike on a long run. He kind of wanders off and does his thing. And I've had a gentleman on a bike circling me, like going, going ahead and coming back. My husband had no idea because he was off doing his own thing. And once I pointed out, he was like, wait, what? I have every person I pass on the run. I say, hi, I make eye contact so that they know I'm aware of them. I may have earbuds in, but I see you. I do the same thing. I'm like, I always tell people, I'm like, yes, I'm friendly, but I also, I say hi so that that person knows like I'm a human being. Like I'm not just some body out there. I'm a person. I've looked at you. I've clocked you like all this stuff. It's not just friendliness. It's part of my survival tactic. Right. And it's, and it's funny because I, in talking to my husband, there is, he just experiences the world in a very different way. And mine Mine was a soldier for 16 years. He, he experienced the world in very different ways than I have. And he, as a six foot two man does not have the same concerns that I do as a five, six woman. 
you know, oh, anybody yeah. could pick me up and carry me off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hello, the same. I feel like I can fit in people's pockets. I'm five two, right? Like I'm like, <laughs> I'm tiny here. So I tell my husband that all the time. I'm like, you just don't, you, you don't, when you leave the house, you just don't think about those things. Whereas me, and I'm not to say that every time I leave the house, I'm like, oh, you know, this paranoid person no, but it's, at it's all. always in our, it's in our subconscious at all times. We do things we don't even realize. And I I was interviewed by the Washington Post about Eliza Fletcher. And it was almost an afterthought because, you know, they talked to Allie Feller first. But I made a comment about that truckload of guides or any car that passes me. I memorize make model and color or license plate (laughs) just in case something happens. And I'm able to like to put it in a police report because I have to. Yeah. And somebody said, well, I should be calling the cops or, you know, I shouldn't that's not going to help me if I'm dead. No, it's not going to help me if I'm dead, but if I'm alive, it's going to help me. That's something that I do without even a second thought. Absolutely. I was going to say, it's going to help you and it's going to help other people. And it's funny when I went out for my run this morning, I was, I looked at the plate on the license plate on my car and there's, I don't know if it's a zero or it's an O, but I was like, (laughs) I was like, you know, I need to start paying more attention to that. Does the zero look different from an O? Because that could be a difference on identifying someone. It's yeah. I think there's, we all walk through life with different awarenesses. Mm -hmm. And I think what I try to do and what you are definitely doing is trying to expand a person's awareness where it's not just this issue there's a lot of other issues. And can we maybe sit with the ugliness of why aren't we thinking about those other issues? Again, I take it as there's, it's always an opportunity to learn. It's always an opportunity to learn how to be not only a better human, but also more caring and compassionate in my interactions with other humans. And I feel like that's your invitation to people in general, like as a coach with everything, it's like, no, no, no. How can we really show up fully and how can we be open to what others have to say? We can always dig deeper and we should, I mean, whether that be in running or these conversations that I'm asking people to have, or even be open to you have to dig deeper. You, I'm not asking people to do this, to bring up their defenses. And that's what they often do. No, I know that you're automatically drawn to the popular thing because that's what everybody's posting. And you just, it's so easy to go along with it. But for me, it's, I have to stop and I, I hold myself back and go, okay, how can I approach this with the right amount of sassiness to get attention, but not be offensive? So I might post something like, hey, you're racing on native lands. Whose whose lands are you racing on? Um, the government has broken literally every single treaty they have ever created with any indigenous tribe. Mm-hmm. And the indigenous people were here before anybody else. And every issue that we have goes back to the genocide that took place when they came to take over our lands. So, but we can have these conversations and understand that yeah, there's a lot of systems in place that we can't dismantle very easily, but we can understand how they formed and how they affect other people. Absolutely. I mean, 
talk about this is something that's harder than running. <laughs> it's yes, totally it harder than running, but it's also, I feel, again, I come back to connection and mm -hmm. how can I be in better connection to you, to the land, to my community. And mm -hmm. I can be in better connection by being curious. I can't change what's happened, no. but I can listen. Mm -hmm. And then when I don't know what to say, I'm just gonna turn to you and amplify you. That's what I can do here. Maybe yeah, yeah. I don't know the answers. Maybe I don't know how to respond to something, but I can listen enough that I can find the people who can. And yeah, then have, I can share. have empathy for others is what it comes down to. And we don't always have the answers for someone. I've, I've got a friend who is facing some hard health situations right now. And I said to them one day, I, I don't know what to say to you, but I'm here. And that's sometimes all people need to, okay, I don't know how to react to the situation, but I hear you. I understand that this matters to you. And simply because I care about you, that matters to me. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I think I always say that like the hardest part about being a human is realizing that we are social beings, right? Like we need people. People are our greatest source of joy and also our greatest source of pain. Yeah, Being in relationship to people, there's so much of that. And I feel even for myself, and I think it probably, it just takes vulnerability in, in yourself as well, right? For me, when I'm like, I don't know what to say. Can you even just asking, like, can you tell me how I can support you right now? Do you need advice right now? Do you need help? Right? Do you just need me to listen? Do you need me to just sit next to you? Because sometimes it's just that. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. what it is, is just knowing that there is another person out there that supports you. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to, but I, I am open to you telling me. There are even times you. that I have to do that for my athletes with my coaching. I'm sorry that you're going through this. I don't understand it, but I love you and I'm here for you. Yep. And they're like, okay, they will go and tell their, their friends, my coach loves me. And that's all that they need. They need to know that somebody loves them, that somebody cares about their issues. That's all it takes. I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the people who can help them. Maybe I do. In, in certain situations, I can go to someone and go, Hey, my athlete is struggling with this. Can you help? Or I think you would be a good fit. Or sometimes it just comes down to, I'm so sorry. I love you. Yeah. And you don't need to do it. And I think that's, that's part of the human nature is we, not everyone, but it's like the feeling that we need to fix. And it's like, no, it's mm -hmm. sometimes we don't need to fix. We just need to, I always, it's called like, we just need to sit with the muck right? Like we just yes. need to sit with it. We just need to sit with it and that's it. And sometimes, oftentimes that's how we really show our love and support for others. It's not trying to fix it. It's not trying to give them the answers. It's just simply sitting there with them mm -hmm. or letting them know that you are a companion during this time should they want and should they need it? Obviously don't yeah. force yourself. People, 
do not force oh. yourself on anyone, <laughs> but, but really be that. I like to think of it as like a pillar, right? Like a pillar of light, like be that pillar for someone to lean back on when they need to rest yes. and don't feel like you need to do anything else unless the person communicates, Hey, Becky, I could really, if you can call me and just listen to me for the next 20, 30 minutes or whatever, then okay. But sometimes it is that message just saying, Hey, I love you. I'm here for you. I support you. If you need something, let me know. That's enough. Oh yeah. I've been on the phone with my athletes crying in the middle of one of their runs because they're just really struggling. And I'm like, they're like, no, I'll cry. And I'm like, it's fine. Get it out. You have to feel your feelings and process them and get them out. You're, we're not suppressing them. Everything's not <laughs> rainbows and unicorns. You have to feel the things, but you have to move through them. So, Absolutely. and sometimes that's all I have to tell them. It's okay. Feel it and move through it. It's, it's Absolutely. fine. I'm here. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's, but you know, that's another topic because us humans yeah. have difficulty with going through the feelings and feeling them. So Again, all the dynamics. <laughs> it is. It is. All right. The request now, because I asked my final question and I absolutely love where it went. Um, because there are things I'm constantly asking myself. I'm constantly asking myself, how can I be a better person and a better advocate and a better friend? And being that better person, better friend, better advocate sometimes means I need to step back and listen. Yeah. Yep. The request I have now is tell us where we can connect with you, your website, what do you have going on? Is there anything exciting coming up for you that we can cheer you on? Well, I have, uh, I had, like I said, just uh, done a half marathon in November, did a little test and had a huge success. I am now on my way to marathon number six in February in Wilmington. So I'm very excited for that. Um, but as far as following me is concerned at coach.croft, either on Instagram or Facebook leads to, um, my hustle run thrive website and also my other Instagram, which I need to revive with all the products, but, <laughs> um, being a solopreneur is hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, Instagram, Facebook at coach.croft lead to my website with all my offerings. If you're not sure what offering is for you, then we can have that conversation and I can guide you in, in the right path. But, um, for me, it comes down to connection, first of all. So having that conversation is very important. Connection is key. It is. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and for your, I love that you say sassy and I'm like, am I sassy too? Because I'm loving it. Like, I'm like, yes, yeah. give me more of that. So I, I am owning my sassy and my sassy and feistiness these days. Oh, I love it. 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 I love it because that is, you're speaking my language because I, you know, I, again, I'm very much of, can we show up fully and stop apologizing for it? Because we do too much apologizing. Like there's, we're trying to fit other people's molds instead of being who we are. Like that's, I, I'm that's, learning how to be unapologetic for things that matter to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I love it. Thank you so much. Truly. Thank you so much for sharing yourself 
all your thoughts, all your wisdom with us. This was such a, just such a beautiful, enlightening and challenging conversation because (laughs) we can always be better. Yes. Well, thank you for allowing me to kind of speak to things that are important to me. Oh, I love it. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. If you thought running was just the physical act of running, I hope this conversation with Coach Croft has expanded your view of running and how we can be better advocates for the sport and for those who participate in the sport. From learning about chi running to being open to talking about the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women, Coach Croft is a tremendous resource for us to better understand ourselves on and off the run. For more on Coach Croft, follow her on Instagram at coach.croft and check out her website at hustle-eat-thrive.myshopify.com. To learn more about Native Women Running, please visit nativewomenrunning.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Cookie Runner. Check out my website at thecookierunner.net and support season two of the podcast over at anchor.fm slash runners roundtable. Until next time, run happy, run strong, and run true to you.